uh, it's nice to get back together, isn't it? it it's fun for us. Um, at least it is for me. I um, have fun with the uh, beginning level classes, but I always look forward to seeing uh, familiar faces and uh, continuing the relationships. <clears throat> so it's very nice to um, open up this series of talks. And uh, I hope people feel comfortable enough to sort of hang around at the end and linger and talk, if you like, <laughs> just to uh, get a growing sense of the um, participation and community that, uh, that the spirit of this practice uh, involves. Uh, and uh, we're going to be uh, working for the next uh, four weeks on the topic of time. Um, those of you who wear watches and have alarm clocks are certainly conscious, as we all are, of the um, influence of time in our lives. And uh, I guess some people would ask, what is what does this have to do really with um, the spiritual? Uh, and I would say that uh, it's really what the spiritual is all about. It's the essence of what spirituality is, is what are the influences of time upon us. And working through those issues uh, to come to what we've uh, heard in the... Um, ancient traditions as the timeless, that which is beyond time, the unconditioned, however you want to say it. Uh, but unless we understand time, it seems a little bit ludicrous to think that we would ever be able to actualize the timeless. And in fact, I, I see uh, many people sort of using time in every aspect of that uh, to work on themselves spiritually. Uh, they get involved in a tradition like Vipassana. There's nothing sacred, you see, in this. We're going to throw everything out into the table and take it all apart. Or Buddhism. And, uh, and then use all of the forms, thinking that um, it's served people for centuries, and therefore all I have to do is sort of hook my card up to this train that's been going along for 2,500 years, and somehow it will pull me towards some sense of freedom, uh, which, uh, uh, if we think that way, is really a dead end for ourselves. In spirituality, there's a radicalism. We have to completely see things anew and fresh for ourselves and put beside, put down, allow all the rest to just float away. And so it's really a radical look at our lives. Not according to what traditions have told us is available, 
or that if we sit 20 hours a week, somehow we'll come to something. But really opening our eyes clearly with the energy, with the arousal of energy, and, uh, and see for ourselves fresh and new. So this question of time is a very, very important one. And as we uh, go through this process together, we will look at things like the tradition that we're involved in and see whether those influences uh, we can stand free of and all of the rest of our lives and the inevitable and uh, accumulation of pressure that time seems to have put on us from the history of when we were born and all the things we're told and all of that we have to stand free and clear of. So it's a very interesting topic, I hope, that you will perhaps um, move into this with me. And uh, really look at it um, as if we were uh, talking about it for the first time. And tonight I'd like to talk about fractured time. And, um, and look at uh, how it is that we fracture time up into pieces and give homework accordingly and go from there. So what is this thing, time? Are we in time, composed of time, of time? Does time feel like it's pulling us along, that somehow we're outside of time, and that time is something that happens to us? Is that how we relate to time? We look down after 20 years and our joints begin to ache, and we know that we have been influenced by time as we get older and that somehow it's inevitable once we're born that we're going to be pushed along in this current of time. We certainly see the influences of time all around us and we sometimes feel victims of time. We have no choice. And in fact, the literature tells us that uh, just like an arrow shot from a bow, that our lives are moving inexorably towards the ending of our lives. And so that it does feel like we're on a one-way road, a one-way path in time. And it does feel completely beyond our control. There's no way to slow it down unless you go the speed of light, I'm told. And uh, no way to speed it up. In hospice care, it's interesting, um, all the assisted suicide, doctor-assisted suicides that are coming up now, is an effort to get out of time prematurely, take ourselves out of it. And... Um, uh, the hospice pr uh, has, has uh, taken a position that it will neither speed time up, which means hasten death, nor will it slow time down, which means prolong the death process, but allow it to be organic in movement. It's a very important concept. And uh, actually, I'm, um, next week, I'm going to be um, 
visiting the Northwest AIDS Foundation. This is a digression, but then you have to, coming to these things, you, you have to put up with them. <laughs> so uh, what's interesting about that to me is that on one side of me will be uh, the Hemlock Society. I don't know if I'm on one side, but in the same panel is the Hemlock Society and a Compassion in Dying, which is the Ralph Miro uh, assisted suicide, uh, hospice care, and somebody else. I can, um, somebody else. And we're all supposed to have our positions, you see. <laughs> we're going to take positions in terms of this question of time and, and uh, hastening our death. And I always feel like um, any time that they bring panels together, what they want is the juice of controversy and conflict and adversarial thing. But for the hospice uh, philosophy, in my own heart, the hospice philosophy is much bigger uh, because it, if the person chooses to hasten their life, the hospice will be there with them as they do that. If the person chooses not to, then the hospice will be with them and that's so that it's the ground on which all of that activity walks. It's the philosophy of individual choice and individual control. And so it really doesn't take a position or stake a position, adversarial position, in relationship to that at all. Um, it's really uh, organic, you see. I mean, that I think is why it resonates with me so deeply is that it's... Um, really comes from something much deeper than uh, positionality. Because positionality, when we take a position that this is the way it is, that position is always in time. Right? It's always staked itself out as opposed to something. For an opposition to something, it means that it's in time. But something more found fundamental than that. There's always, I mean, you can get a sense now, you see? Get a sense in our own lives. We don't have to have some unconditioned revelation to get a sense that there's something there that's beyond time itself. That all this movement comes and goes in front of our eyes and our lives unfold and in activity and in conflict and in suffering and pain and happiness. And all the different mind states move in and up and down and around and through us, intensity. And then we're on our deathbed. See, what is... It's a feeling that there's something beyond all this, something more fundamental than all of this movement that goes on. All of this lavishing display, the drama. And you just after a while, when you, for experienced sitters who are sincere, there's a growing sense of something intuitively beyond all of this. Uh, exaggeration and hyperbole and all of this 
I mean, you turn on the television and uh, the Israel, Israeli Prime Minister has been assassinated and war and this and that. It's just, you know. And the forms come, you know. Things arise and fall back and things come and fade out again. And if you don't, if we don't take it so personally and describe it so uh, individually, then it's, you can just see this, this, all this stuff just coming. Well, where is it coming from? And where is it going back to? Where is all this movement originating from? All this smoke, I mean, lies, death, birth. In the hospice now, we, um, we have uh, about five children on our service. And as a matter of fact, a three-year-old died tonight. So what, how does that make any sense? It absolutely doesn't make any sense unless there's something more fundamental than all of this that's arising. To ask ourselves that question or else we're just caught in it. We just play it out. We have this you know, this part that we're so fully involved in that we never see that the play, we never see the stage that we're on. And we wrestle and struggle and then, you know, it's the last act. It's because, uh, especially in this culture, I think, that we put such a high value on precision and efficiency, you know, being precise and being productive. It's the new byword for healthcare, productivity. <laughs> and just the efficiency, you know, Americans are so efficient, not quite to the extreme of some of the European cultures in the, in the context, but we're pretty out there. We're pretty far, far gone. <laughs> and, but to see that, to see that is, but you see what it does to us is it makes it, it feels like the, the walls of the room are narrowing in us. We feel the pressures of the time. You know, are we being productive now as we sit here? I mean, I was, this is, you know, I'm, I'm teach this stuff, right? So <laughs> Saturday morning, <laughs> I'm going to sit for a while. So I, 20 minutes, a half an hour, and you, oh God, I got to get up and do some work. <laughs> All of this idleness. <laughs> to feel the pressures that we live under and that we, uh, that we assume and fill our lives with. And you see, let's take it apart from it. What is that kind of pressure, time pressure? You know, when you get up, well, you've, you've got to get to work. So you're thinking about work. <clears throat> and then when you're at work, you're thinking about lunch. <laughs> if you're healthy, you think about lunch. 
if you're sick, you think about work. <laughs> um, and then when, you know, then you think about going home when you're not at home. I mean, we're always, you see, we're always being driven by the concept of doing, by the concept of activity. But, you know, uh, one of the first things I realized about Seattle was that it's much saner here than in most places because none of the people I worked with would work full time. They're all working point you know, four days a week or three days a week. <laughs> no, but nowhere in the rest of the country that I know is this kind of... <laughs> they just uh, they have the priorities in a very different way and I, I, I appreciate that a lot, actually. Uh, anyway... Like there, it's important, you know, I, I was reading, this is another digression, it is reading about uh, Seattle being one of the uh, most honest places to live. Do you see that in the paper? That uh, somebody went around and put out 150 billfolds worth of, uh, worth had, having $50 a piece in it, uh, all around different cities in the, in the country. They took 150 billfolds and put them in the street corners and stuff. And, uh, Seattle had the highest rate of return of those billfolds. <laughs> I said, yeah, all right. <laughs> it's 90%. Uh, and that's amazing, isn't it? Okay, would you, if you found a billfold with $90 or $50 in it, and you had to return the billfold with the, all the dollars there for it to be counted. <laughs> all right, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Nine out of ten people. So, um, I mean, I think we can get a sense of uh, the world sort of speeding up around us. Um, I certainly have felt a, a difference, and I can't figure out whether I'm just... People always say, as you get older, life gets faster. See, but why is that? We're digressing again here. Why, why is it? that life seems to get faster when you get older. It's true, it seems to, doesn't it? I mean, it seems to to me. So why is that? Why does that happen to us? Hmm? More neurotic, she says. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's because uh, we've lost the innocence of looking. So it's not impacting us in the same way. So we know what's going to happen. And when you know what's going to happen, you skip over the details and go to the next thing. I mean, maybe that's what it is. I have, uh, I remember my nieces, when they come over to the house, they're, you know, six, seven, eight years old, and they're just, poof. They're like alive in, in this new house we have. I've lived there two months now. <laughs> you see, these are interesting questions. These aren't just uh, casual questions. So what... So what happens to our ability to love when we're focused on time and the pressures of time? Isn't that important? What happens to our ability to feel for others compassion when we're moving pell-mell uh, in time? We don't have time to make a relationship. We don't have time to make contact because we're too busy. I mean, I see it myself here. We're in the hospice program. Always the irony of this, believe me, I doesn't uh, pass me by. 
where the very relationship of what we do is death and dying. It's the ending of time. And yet I don't have time to talk you know, to the nurses. I have, to, I have to get to a meeting. Nice to see you. Have a nice day. All of the things we say to avoid contact. Our heart can't feel, can't express itself unless we make contact with things. I think this must be obvious to us all here. I mean, think. Really allow ourselves to feel the, the value of that statement. And do we wonder why there's less compassion, less affection in the world that seems to be pressuring itself more and more to get somewhere, to move and then we do it in our spiritual lives, you see. We so dislike who we've been in time because we've never really addressed or allowed ourselves to come to our own affection. That's what we mean when we don't like ourselves. <clears throat> that we want to get through our spirituality with the same, in the same way. So we use ourselves to force ourselves through the spiritual forms and practices to get to the other side, wherever it's going to take me, because that's the way I've related to life. If I've related to my job that way, and to schooling that way, and to my relationships that way, and to my wife and husband, of course I'm going to do it to my spiritual practice. How else can I not? I only know that. I only know to set a goal and strive and be ambitious and just go right through it. And so we use time to take us to the timeless. It's four o'clock. I can sit an hour. Hope the timeless comes in. We have to see the irony of how we treat ourselves. The spiritual life is about awakening. It is about making contact. It is about the richness of being alive. Now that takes a very different approach than to run, than to follow the yellow brick road. We have to take everything and stand it on its head. So when I say it has to be a radical approach, it's not to be radical or to be revolutionary in some kind of militant sense. It's that what we have, the ways we have been working have gotten us to this point. Fifty people in a room with their hearts yearning. What are we going to do? When are we going to take responsibility? I wouldn't be doing my job if I made this easy. My job is not to make this easy. For me, either. We don't have any time for self-reflection. 
too busy. And I put myself in that as well. I'm not... If there is passion, there is because there is struggle within me. How can we learn? What does it take to learn? You see? It takes time. It takes... It takes connection to learn. It takes interest. It takes focus. It takes your heart. It takes appreciation. All these things that we talk about in different kind of Dharma talks are really different expressions of the same quality. And sometimes we'll talk about in terms of generosity or compassion or love or appreciation or the mystery or time or personality or the shadow or death and dying. But it has the same message. It has the same message. So if we want our hearts to flower, if we would like ourselves to really touch things, like the textures of life, you know? It's like if you just rub your hand across the rug and you just feel the of the textures of the rug. It takes really a, the ability to stop and just notice what that texture is like, what it, what it feels like, where the little imprints are, the little... That's what meditation is. It's adjusting ourselves and the word that of this happening is sensitivity. That's what sensitivity is. It's the hand feeling the textures of life. So that if a mosquito lands on your heart, you feel it. You see? And then those of us who don't have time for sensitivity. Don't have time for sensitivity. Don't have time problem is that we have time for everything else because we define ourselves with our activity, with how busy we are. We define ourselves with our doing. I've done it now. What else? What's the next thing to do? Right? (laughs) What's the purpose of walking meditation? I don't get it. <laughs> twenty minutes. I, I'll do this for twenty minutes. You see? Anyway. You see, um, our relationship to time invites fear. How we relate to time. We are so. I think there's a sense in many of us that if we ever stopped long enough, uh, what would come up would be so difficult for us to face that the only thing we can do is to stay busy. 
And we, I see that sometimes uh, in retreats when people come and uh, they have, they feel, many people feel like they have to have the trauma of the hour. Uh, oh, no. And uh, so they uh, come into um, interviews and talk about whatever it is that's disturbing them. Uh, all the, you know, I, I've got so much of this or that in my mind, so much anger, so much sorrow. You can fill in impatience, frustration. That uh, uh, you get a sense that um, sometimes people uh, wouldn't know what to do if it weren't there. And some facts, some meditators come in and say, you know, there's nothing going on. You get it both ways. <laughs> there's too much going on and there's not enough going on. As if there was kind of like a medium drip. <laughs> so, oh, that's right. That's the, that's the water torture of the... <laughs> you see? So... So uh, is it because, do we keep ourselves busy um, to avoid really looking at some of the more difficult situations in our life? To really stop from facing. You know, when people say, oh, I, I can't wait to have this retreat over, what they're really saying is, I can't wait to stop looking at myself. The next time you're on retreat, watch the clock. You watch yourself watching the clock and ask yourself that. Ask yourself what you're avoiding. And we begin to use time, or think about time, as a strategy uh, for avoidance. So, uh, you can actually look at suffering in terms of uh, using time as an avoidance. So, the, you get your knee pain in the sitting, and immediately what you do is project another time frame. A time when that, oh, why doesn't it stop hurting, you see? You put another time frame. And that's what suffering is. Is that we've placed an artificial time frame above and beyond and over and overlapped the one that's actually occurring. So the time that is being expressed, the actual time that's occurring is being denied. I don't want this time. I want another time. I want a different time. A time of when things were simpler. And you know, I was at an Ajahn Sumedho course and um, he said something which has stayed with me. I really appreciated it a lot. It was very um, simply said. Uh, and it sort of took me back uh, to uh, the essence of the practice. Uh, 
he was talking about uh, uh, one of his fears, and I can't remember what it was, maybe being senile or something. And then he said, but you know, if I become senile, I'll, I'll deal with it when it happens. I'll work with it when it happens. I'll work on it. I'll, I'll deal with it. And then all of a sudden I thought, of course. <laughs> that's it. That's, of course, that's the whole thing. We sit there and are so afraid of uh, Alzheimer's disease, you see, or whatever our, our pet thing is, that we spend the whole 20 or 30 years before the onset of Alzheimer's worrying about it. It's like when you're dying. People spend all their time worrying about death, which hasn't happened to them. I mean, if they only spent five minutes of their time worrying about death, and the other 95% of their time living, it would be the right balance, you know. But it's vice versa, because the, the fear of what will happen is feeling, is feeling so confining that, and the wall looks so big that we spend all our time worrying about it. Instead of just dealing with it when it happens. And if it happens, I'll work with it. It's something to work with. Alzheimer's disease, something to work with. Our death, something to work with. And it takes, it undercuts all the fear. It, it allows life to come back in. It allows the contact to be made again. It reasserts ourselves back into the equation. If we're just afraid of the equation happening or something occurring, we're not even in the equation. We're not even there. We have created an artificial world in which we don't even belong. And the whole concept of time, instead of actually being present here, and working with things as it arises. And the concept of fractured time, that's what this talk was about. <laughs> I'm getting to it. <laughs> we fracture our lives, don't we? In terms of work time, personal time, family time, private time, I don't know, meal time, all the different times we have in our lives. And those pieces are kept very separate and distinct from one another. In other words, if, we have, if we're called out to work when it's our personal time, we resent that. Right? Because there is an inherent friction. We have defined this time as being my time. My time away from work. I was on call this weekend. Four o'clock in the morning, the phone rings. I think, damn, it's my time to sleep. It's not my time to work. And then I go in and I moan. I complain. I'm a complainer. I have to admit, I'm a complainer. <laughs> Let me tell you what, how hard it was last night. <laughs> so the fracturing of our lives 
in terms of different time. We're sitting meditating and our child comes up. You see? Intrudes on our personal time. And so we get very upset. Can't you see, dear, your mom is sitting? Now go away. Leave me alone. We'll have another 20 minutes. We've missed the texture. We've sk our hands has skipped at that point. Our hand has just skipped right over the rug. Right over life. Right over life. It's as if we're packaged in these different intervals. Now this is me as a work person, this is me as a play person, this is me as a family person. Well what that does is that it places ourselves outside of time. It puts us in opposition to time. There's life, myself, and time. Three things. <laughs> and I'm the impoverished person trying to bring these three things in coordination with one another. Suzuki Roshi, in his book Zen Mind, Beginner Mind, says something quite beautiful. He says, three o'clock is what you happen to be doing when the clock strikes three. It's not some thing in and of itself. It's not outside of me as an entity that exists external to myself. Three o'clockness. And life is not something that's happening outside of myself, although we often feel that way. You know, it's happening all around us and inside here I feel that impoverished spirit. Those three things are happening simultaneously together. And to be whole is to be complete in all of that. So that intervals aren't fractured. But all time, as Thich Nhat Hanh said, all time is my time, is our time. All time is our time. In the middle of the traffic jam, trying to get to work, it's our time. The rug is being felt. The texture is there. Driving up to work, getting out of the car, it's my time. Time with the family, my time. The texture is there. It's seamless. It's seamless. There are no demarcations, no marks, no divisions, no dividing posts, no mile markers. Seamless. And time is seamless. You know, we think the year goes round and around. It goes this way. This is not the same year. This is not the same October or November. This is, this is, a, this is a new moment. It's that time of year in Seattle, you know, when the and I remember four years ago when I was, you know, last October, dear, when we were, what'd you do last Christmas? This is a new Christmas. This is a new time. Allow our hearts to feel that, to feel the wholeness of time, 
not to place time outside of ourselves, not to place life outside of ourselves, but to feel the wholeness of what it means to be alive in time, in life. And to rest, to allow ourselves to rest, to allow ourselves to really feel the texture of the surface of it all. And to put aside our resistances to being sensitive. That's the new age man stuff. Does it make sense? Does it make sense? And does it satisfy the heart? Those are the questions. Does it make sense? Could we sit for a minute or two? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.